0: Welcome to the Venice Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Venice Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the word of God.
1: Go ahead and grab your Bible. Go to Romans chapter five. We're gonna get there in just a minute. Well, good afternoon, church. All right, there we go. Uh, 11.45, I love you guys. Thankful for one more opportunity to gather today. It has been an awesome day at Venice Church. If today you're worshiping with us for the first time, my name's Matt. They let me be one of the pastors here for now, which is a good thing I'm excited about. We're glad that you're here. Again, I remind you, if you're looking for the perfect church, you have not found it, because there are no perfect churches, because all churches got people in it so that just makes it impossible for them to be perfect. But if if you are looking for a place to call home, we'd love for this to be that for you. But we'd also continue to remind you that for you to be a part of the body of Christ is so much more than just showing up on Sunday that you need to get out of these rows and into some circles. And I know that's scary for us because you've been burned by the church. You've been hurt by it. And that's not an easy thing to do. And I won't tell you that we won't disappoint you at some point in your experience here because uh, it will never be our intention, but we want to build relationships with you because you need it. And so... Please find a circle somewhere to engage outside of Sunday, like our community groups a class. I got to hang out with the men's community group this past Thursday night and just to sit around a table with Joe and Chuck and Cody and just to have conversations about God's word was just refreshing to my spirit, and I know it would be to yours. And I'm also grateful for the opportunities that we get to minister to our community. And if you're following us on social media, you heard about something we're doing this this season through our Serve the City team, uh, partnering with another church. And aren't you glad that you go to a church that doesn't see other churches as competition, but co-laborers with Christ? (laughs) Man, we are all in this together. And our friends down at Northridge, which is on uh, northern Ashborough, they have a ministry there called Project 82, which is a phenomenal ministry. And that ministry, is its sole goal is to equip foster families in our church so that when a family, and man, how about foster families, the people that are willing to open up their heart and their home to kids in need in this community, it is something special. And we should pray for those folks because they are a gift. Come on, somebody. But those families, they never know when they're gonna get that call. Y'all, they never know when in the middle of the night or something, we've got an infant or we got a two-year-old or we, and they just need a place, safe place to stay for a while. And Project 82 through Northridge Church is all about equipping those families, making sure they have those resources so when they get that phone call, they're able to respond and we're just gonna come alongside them. And so as you exit the building today, some of our Serve the City or host team are gonna hand you some cards. They just need some gift cards and some diapers and all that kind of stuff. And so thank you in advance for your generosity and the way that you're gonna respond. Just, man, you guys are so generous. Thank you for the way that you sow into the ministry of our church. And as always, if you feel led by God to give today, there's some boxes in the back and there's some QR codes if you want to give digitally. But because of your generosity already, our church has already made a commitment to make sure we have bought age-appropriate Bibles to give to these folks so that when these kids come into those, those homes, they have a Bible and they're ready to put the Word of God into the hands of these kids. And we know the Word of God has the power to do amazing things. That is something that we have leaned into really heavy as we've started this new year, being reminded that we need to be in the word of God. That believer, follower of Jesus, if, if you're going to grow in your faith and your faith is going to be strong enough to withstand what life throws at it, you cannot only read scripture when it's on that screen once every seven days. The Word of God needs to be a regular part of your daily routine. And so we did this thing called Releasing the Word when we started the year, just equipping us to to not feel intimidated to grab this book, to open it, to see it for what it is, and to learn more about what God has to say about himself and help us better understand who we are. And we've made such a commitment to this that we've started even doing what we call expository preaching. And if you never heard that term before, it means we just take a book of the Bible, and as a church on Sunday mornings, we try to just preach through it. And we started this a few weeks ago, this series called The Letter, where we're literally reading the letter that Paul wrote to the believers in Rome. And the book of Romans is this masterpiece, man, by Paul. It is such a powerfully penned letter. And to me, it's unlike any other letter that Paul writes And I think maybe that's because he is pretty sure that it's unlikely he's ever going to get to Rome to be able to stand before these folks and preach the word. And so when he put pen to paper, like he just went deep. And we've been preaching through this, and I'll just admit, it, it, it ain't been fun. It ain't been fun to preach, so I know it's not been fun to hear. But we have a responsibility, and we take it seriously to preach all of God's word, even when it's uncomfortable. Even when it's maybe even culturally offensive and doctrinally challenging. But we we have to do that. And we've been walking through the book of Romans. And and if you haven't noticed, there's three ideas that Paul is continually trying to kind of weave in and out of in the book of Romans. Have you seen it? There's kind of three realities that he's kind of going back and forth in. Number one, why humanity needs to be saved. Like he's trying to help us see our need for Jesus, why we need to be saved is is one of the biggest things we see in Romans. Number two, how we're saved. That there is a way to be made right with God. And we've been bringing back some of these old school churchy words, and I know that they aren't easy because sometimes we hear these words and they take us back to a church experience that wasn't too good, Right? We hear these words that maybe a preacher used when we were like 12, and we were like, that dude scares me. He's weird looking, and he's using big words. Like righteousness, because we have tethered that word to really self-righteousness that we experienced in the church, and therefore we've had to move away from it. But righteousness is not a word that we can abandon, because when you truly understand the scriptural meaning behind it, it's a pretty word, man. It's a beautiful word. Because it's not talking about that self-righteousness that some of us have gotten caught up in. It's talking about the right standing that we now have with God by grace through faith. That we have opportunity to be made right with the God of the universe, the one who formed you, made you, created you, gave you life, and wants to know you and wants you to know him. That you can be made right with him. And it is not by anything that you do. That you don't earn your way back to God. You don't go your to church to get your way back to God you don't even just try to be a good person to be made right with God because none of that stuff will ever be good enough but in his grace he sent his one and only son to this planet to pay the penalty necessary for the sin that you and I had committed so that we could be justified so that it could be just as if I'd never sinned and I could step into the presence of God and live in relationship with him come on somebody So Paul says, all right, this is why you need to be saved. This is how you were saved. And then he also talks about this is the benefit of you being saved. Like those are the three things that we see Paul kind of moving in and out of. This is why you need to be saved. This is how you were saved. This is the benefit of you being saved. And he kind of moves in and out of those areas like a pinball bouncing around often because he's trying to solidify it so much. And last week, we finally moved into Romans chapter 5. When he said the benefit of this salvation you have in Christ is you have peace with God. You have peace with God. Not the peace of God. That's something that we have too. But we have peace with God. That we're no longer enemies of God because we've been made right with him. And he, in that first first 11 verses that we looked at in Romans 5, he also wants to make sure that we understand that this reconciliation we have with God, don't doubt it when affliction comes. That don't you, you be secure and assured in this salvation. That when it gets hard and when it gets difficult, that doesn't mean that you've lost this salvation that he gave you. Because it's the natural thing in us as humans, right? When life's not going well, when we're suffering, we're going through a pain, like, God, what are you doing? Why are you putting me through this? And God's saying, no, 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 that we are still good, but you're still in the broken world. That the reason why you're experiencing pain and suffering is not because now God is angry with you or you've lost that peace with him. It's because he has not yet fully redeemed all that sin has broken. That you still live in a world that is marked by sin. And so there is still struggle and pain and hardship. But he gives us power to walk through it and purpose in it that refines us and builds our character. But someday he's going to come back. And when he does, he will finally fix it all. And I ain't to lie, y'all, I thought he was coming last week when Laura started singing How Great Thou Art. <laughs> I was like, Jesus? I was looking for tattoo Jesus on the horse coming back. Some of y'all are like, tattoo Jesus, read Revelation. Lord of Lords on his thigh. Some of you like, Jesus had tattooed. Anyway, someday I'm going to preach a series on on, on Revelation. God wins. I just preached it. Okay. Where was I? All right. No, we're in this sinful, broken world. That's why we experience pain. And as he moves into verse 12, he starts to unpack a really important theological, doctrinal idea that further explains the world in which we live. Go to verse 12. Romans chapter 5. Go to verse 12. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul's introducing this idea or reiterating this idea of why the world is the way it is. Because there was a moment in the garden when Adam and Eve made a decision to deliberately disobey God. And that sin, look at me, has affected and infected all of humanity, and the earth that we live in. Yeah, let me say amen. This is an idea that you may have heard termed as original sin. Anybody ever heard that term before? Again, it's another one of these churchy words. But what, what happened was when, what had happened was when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that decision destroyed and distorted God's ideal for humanity. Come on. Y'all know we don't live in the world that God wanted us to live in in the beginning, right? That humanity got to get a glimpse of it. That the world that we live in is the sin-cursed world that God put us in the garden, and we had this relationship, and then sin entered the world, and it has affected and infected all of humanity. And original sin basically means this: that we are all born broken and headed toward death. That's just a reality. We're all born broken and headed toward death because of what Adam did, he has passed down the impact and that nature to all humanity. We're all born broken and headed toward death. You're saying Matt, like, dude, this is really depressing to start. Well, as I can't tell you the good news without telling you the bad news. That every single person is born broken. We're all born selfish and prideful And in ways that we cannot fix. We're born corrupt. Let me prove it to you. Sign up to serve in our toddlers and twos class next Sunday. (laughs) You will see just how broken and evil humanity is. Come on, somebody. All the parents' rooms like, Amen. Like, you never had to teach your kids to be selfish. The one word my kids never had to learn from me, it was just innate in their nature, was mine. It's just the reality. We're all born broken and sinful, and we're headed toward death. And I know what you're thinking but like, whoa, 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 Matt, like it's not fair that we, that we have inherited this, that we have to live in the ramifications of one person's decision. First of all, you don't want to talk about fair in God. The last thing anybody in this room wants is for God to be fair. God is just, but thank God He is not fair. Because if God was fair, I wouldn't be standing here right now. If God was fair, I deserve nothing that I have. Because maybe you're better than me, but I've done some really horrible things in my life. And I don't deserve any of the things that God has allowed me to have, especially the eternity that waits for me on the other side. I'm glad that God has chosen grace and mercy over fear. Amen. And you say, whoa, 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 I'm a good person. No, you're not. Wait a minute. You know, you know how I know? Because Scripture says, remember when that conversation that Jesus had with that guy? And he came to Jesus and he said, hey, good teacher. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Because there's nobody good but God. Then maybe you are good by some human standard, but it is not by human standard we are measured. It is by the standard that is the holy, awesome, pure God. That's the standard by which we're measured. Then maybe we're good on some human level, but that's not enough to be able to stand in the presence of a mighty and holy God That we're all born broken and headed toward death. And this is a concept that's woven in all of scripture. I think about David in Psalm 51. It's that psalm that he penned after that big blunder, the whole Bathsheba thing. And he is reminded that, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Like we're all born broken and headed toward death. As a result of the choice that Adam and Eve made, they have passed on that sinful nature that all of us in flesh and water are born into. And unless God decides to do something about it, that is where we stay. But the good news is we serve a God that didn't want to leave us that way. So Romans 5, go to verse 14. He says, yet death reigned... From Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. You see, now Paul's starting to transition. He's saying that Adam was one representative of humanity, one representative of who we were supposed to be, but he was just a poor imitation of the one who was going to come that would be what was necessary to make us Right. Verse 15, but see, the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many See, there was a guy named Adam that messed it up for everyone, but there was a man named Jesus who made it right and made the potential for all of us to no longer be born broken and headed toward death, but be reborn, healed, and given new life. That's what Jesus made possible. We are all born broken, headed toward death because of Adam, but because of Jesus, we can be reborn, healed, given new life. That if we're going to be able to be made right, if we're going to be able to stand in the holy presence of God, we need more than a makeover. And I know we, we love makeovers. These TV shows dedicated it to people and houses. And y'all have watched so much HDTV, you think everybody and everything's a fixer-upper. But if you're gonna stand in the presence of God, you need more than just to rearrange some things. Like being able to stand in the presence of God, you don't need to be remodeled, you need to be made new. And that's why that language is very intentional that we are born broken, headed toward death, and if we're going to be able to enter into the presence of God and be righteous, we have to be reborn, healed, and given new life. And that's more than just putting on some new clothes, trying to modify our behavior a little bit, going on a diet. And all those things are awesome. But they do not put you in position to be made right with God. You have to be, can I bring back another old churchy term, born again. And that's another one. Oh, no, got to be born again. We've heard some weird preacher yell that ass. Like, what is this happening right now? But again, man, it's like so many of these other terms and language that's in scripture, I know they've been ruined by maybe some well-intended preachers, but we can't abandon them because these words are rich in meaning and we need to understand them and the only way for us to be able to stand in the presence of God is we have to be born again because the way we were born the first time is broken and sinful and we don't We have to have a complete shift in our spirit, a renewing, a regeneration is a word that you need to learn, made new. The other reason why I think we need to be born again is because that's the language that Jesus used when he was trying to explain it to somebody else. Do you remember? And look, can we just all agree? If Jesus said it, let's just go with that. Good practice, right? If Jesus framed it this way, if Jesus described it this way, we're just going to go with Jesus. And there was a moment when this man who had tried other means to put himself in position to deal with all that brokenness inside of him. It's in John chapter 3. It's a man named Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was wealthy. By all the earthly standards, he had done all the things, jumped through all the hoops, followed all the rules, done everything that he knew to do in order to deal with his brokenness. But I am convinced that he knew something was missing. You know how I'm convinced? Because he sought after an obscure rabbi in the middle of the night because he knew he still needed answers. And when he comes to Jesus, Jesus says this reborn, born again stuff to him. And the first time he heard it, he is very confused. John chapter three, verse three, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus Nicodemus said, wait a minute, verse four, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Hey mom, I need to come over. Why? I'll tell you when I get there. I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. And there's some of us, we heard that, that's what we're thinking too. But he's saying, no, there is something so significant, so spiritual, so powerful that has to happen. And the good news is can happen in order for you to walk in the benefit and beauty of a relationship with God. He says, no, verse five, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that first birth, and then a second birth of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh, is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit he's saying no yeah there was a first time you were born when you came from your mom and you were born in flesh and water but there needs to be a second birth a new birth that's only made possible through the washing of your sin white as snow through the sacrifice of Jesus to not just make you something different but to make you completely new in the power of his spirit come on the Bible's good amen, that Adam did what all of us would have done, but Jesus did what none of us could do. Verse 17, Romans chapter 5, says, for because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man much more. Pause for a second. Have you noticed we keep hearing that phrase much more. Just, just a little Bible study tip. When you're reading your Bible and you got your Bible open and you're studying the Bible and you see phrases repeated, circle them. Because there's something powerful there that God's trying to say. When God, remember, when your daddy said something multiple times, it's because he, he really meant it. Yeah? Come on, somebody. When God's repeating himself as he's inspiring people to write this word, there's something that matters. So, you're welcome. Much more, Well, those who receive, look, the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification, justified, just as if we'd never sinned justification and life for all men for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous see the bad news is Adam messed it up he ruined it for all humanity and he passed down that sin nature that one act brought destruction the good news is somebody else The only begotten Son of God, born of a virgin named Jesus, came and did the one thing necessary to fix what Adam broke. Let me just say it to you like this One man ate from a tree and brought death, a better man died on a tree and brought life. That's just good gospel truth right there, y'all. One man ate from a tree and brought death. A better man died on a tree and brought life. Not so that you you could be something better, so you could be something new, so you could lay aside all that old self. Scripture says we're a new creation because of who Jesus is. And I know that after you got saved, some people didn't understand it, and they thought, well, you look the same. In some ways, you even act the same, but you're not the same. You're not. Again, I know it it ain't cliche if it's eternally true. You may not be who you want to be, but you're not who you used to be. That God is changing you from the inside out, making you new, regenerating your heart, your mind, transforming you into the likeness of his son, moving you towards the pattern he demonstrated in the life that Jesus lived while he was on this earth. That, yeah, we're born You got two birthdays. The one when you came into this world broken and headed toward death. And the one when you finally saw Jesus for who he was, accepted his grace and mercy and let him into your heart. And in that moment, maybe sparks didn't fly, fireworks didn't go off, and you didn't cry and feel emotional. But that's not what it's about. It's not a feeling. It's faith. And you need to trust it. But then Paul does something that seems weird in the moment. He takes us back to the law in verse 20. Because, see, he's saying, see, between Adam and Jesus, there was Moses. And when the New Testament, y'all look at me, when the New Testament is talking about Moses, not, it's very rarely talking about the person, Moses. It's talking about what Moses represented those first five books of the Bible, the law, the Torah. So he's not just, he, he said, between Adam and, and, and Jesus, there was Moses, there was the law. And I know the law is that thing he keeps coming back to because it's super important. And the law, again, is something that we, we fail to understand. We read it and think, okay, I can't get tattoos and I can't eat shrimp. I don't know what to do with this. But the law has this purpose that's very, very powerful. And then when you really understand it for what it is, it helps you better appreciate the beauty of what God has done for us. And in verse twenty, that's what he's trying to communicate. He says, "Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more." Now, what he's not saying here is when the when the law came, we became better sinners. Our sin got increased. No, we all been good at sin. If we were professional, anything is sinners. Come on, somebody. What he's saying is, the law showed the increase. It showed the, the the real distance between us and God. It revealed the level of His holiness and the magnitude of our brokenness. So, if you ever wonder, really, really, what the law the law revealed a gap that only grace could close. The law, revealed, the law was never intended to be followed in order to make us righteous. It was to show us our need for God to intervene so that we could be made righteous. Y'all with me? Say amen. And you know, only when you see the enormity of your sin can you appreciate the abundance of his grace. You know? When you see really how broken you are, yet yeah, He died for you anyway. When you see how unworthy you are, yet yeah, He chose to love you anyway. That the power of His grace. So if, you're, it, if you look at God's Word and you're overwhelmed with guilt instead of overcome by grace, you're not looking at it right. <laughs> Come on. And it's not that we're not guilty, we are. But that guilt leads to the need, the receiving, the welcoming of his grace. His grace that is big enough to cover any sin and available to every sinner. But Paul kind of knows, as soon as he's talking about this grace, that we can jump to a really dangerous conclusion. And so he does what he does so masterfully in Romans. He says, whoa, wait a minute. I know what you're thinking. And before you start getting my words all twisted, let me clarify. Because he says in verse 1 of chapter 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, well, if grace is that good, let's live it up, man. Let's just keep living like hell and expect to go to heaven because God's grace is so good. Let's partake. Let's just do this. But he says, wait a minute, before you think that that's the attitude that you should adopt as somebody who's chosen to love and follow Jesus, before you think that, okay, if God's grace is so good, then let's just keep on sinning, man. He uses the most emphatic no that he can in that biblical language. He says, by no means. No, that's not the attitude that you can adopt. That if you think that that's what this is about, you're misunderstanding, number one, the beauty and power of the gospel and all that Jesus wants you to do. That Look at me. Jesus wants you to trust him enough to forgive you for your sin and believe he is powerful enough to free you from your sin. That was the weakest clap I've ever heard. It'll get better for them. But for those of you who tried, I love you. He says, nah. See, look at, look at the latter part of verse two. He says, no, no, no. Listen, listen, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Y'all, this grace that God gives us, this grace erases the penalty of sin and it eliminates the power of sin. That's the beauty of God's grace. God's grace erases the penalty of sin and eliminates the power of sin. That gr- God's grace is not a license we leverage for permission to sin. It is something that we lean into to experience victory over sin come on that he wants to give us power to release those strongholds to walk away from the things that were destroying and destructing our lives the things that were keeping us captive and separating us from him he says I want you to I want to separate you from it and I want to separate it from you I want you to lay those things down go back into, into verse 5 of Romans 6 it says for we Like he came not just to forgive us, he came to set us free. He came to get us to lay down those things, to walk away from, to overcome those things. But listen, grace, it erases the penalty of sin. It eliminates the power of sin, but it does not eradicate the potential to sin. Because we still live in the world, and we still have an enemy that doesn't like what God's doing. And so we face temptation every single day. But look at me. Just because temptation is present doesn't mean sin has to be chosen. You know how I know that? The word of God. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But our God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide an escape hatch an off-ramp a way out that you may be able to endure it that in christ in the power of his spirit when we sin it's not because we have to it's because we choose to A few years ago I preached a message about this and I reminded you that in Christ sin is not a chain anymore it's a choice and I brought out some chains if anybody was here in May of 2018 y'all gonna remember these and I swear they've gotten heavier since four years ago See, that you were born like this, in bondage, slave to the sinful nature that you inherited from Adam, broken and headed toward death. But the moment that you accepted Jesus, he forgave you of your sin. He wiped you clean, and his whole goal was to get you to let go. Yes, those are real. They are not plastic. He didn't come just to forgive you. He came to free you. He did not ask you to lay down those chains, only to watch you continue to pick them back up. Galatians tells us that it is for freedom that we have been set free. To not pick these things. For freedom Christ has set us free, so stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But this is what we do, we choose Jesus and then we get in these situations and we find ourselves in temptation and we stop. See, he fixed the problem, but then he wants to give us wisdom and discernment to break the patterns that keep leading us back to the chains. And I think right now in the season that we're in, that what's happened in the last two years has caused so many people to retreat back to old chains. COVID hit and when COVID hit we were doing good man the church was thriving and we had momentum then all of a sudden COVID hit and social distancing and all the things we needed to do you got isolated and separated and you went back because you were hurting and you were struggling and your business was, and you didn't know how to cope and next thing you know you were treated not to the presence of God but to old chains and for two years now you've been dragging them around Dragging them to work, dragging them home, dragging them in here. And even as I stand here, like I feel my arms begin to shake. These things are heavy, y'all. And I think like, like what I'm feeling right now is what so many people are feeling. The weight of things that are hindering your life. But here's the thing. You're carrying chains that Jesus has already paid to release you from. today's the day to put them down I woke up this morning and Psalm 107 like the Holy Spirit just put it right in my heart and I got here to church and I said guys we need to throw this verse in." in Psalm 107 starting with verse 10 as some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners, suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. He subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Verse 13 But then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress he brought them out of darkness the utter darkness and broke away their chains let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind he breaks down gates of bronze and he cuts through bars of irons that's the God you serve so who is it? I want you to to hear that sound. Who came in like this? Who wants to leave? Forgiven and free. Because he's here. He knows. He's waiting. He's waiting for that confession, that repentance, that ownership. He's waiting for you to take new steps of surrender to allow him in to take steps of courage, to see, I don't think freedom ever happens in isolation. Like you need people, you need accountability, you need support, you need strength, you need prayer. That's why James tells us, confess our sins to each other. So you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. We're gonna finish with just a quick time of worship. And as we do, I'm not gonna tell you how to respond. I'm not gonna ask you to come down front. I'm not even gonna ask you to stand. We're gonna worship and I want you just to respond to the Lord. What's he saying to you today? what's he speaking into your heart as they take those chains off i want you to hear that sound because there's chains that are going to fall off you as we worship that nobody's going to hear but you're going to know it deep in your spirit father thank you that you didn't leave us broken headed toward death but you gave us the opportunity not just to be made different, but to be made completely new, reborn by the power of your spirit working in us to transform us into the likeness of your son Jesus and that you are more than enough. Your grace is enough to forgive us for it and your grace is enough to free us from it. Help us to tap into your power. Help us to lean into your spirit. And God, as we worship you before we exit this room today, God, I pray that you would help people in this room under the sign of our voice to follow your lead no matter how difficult or challenging it might be. In
0: Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Vintage Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at vintagechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Vintage Church app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.